Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to On Your Mental. This is the podcast that shares candid, open, and sometimes vulnerable conversations. I'm one of your hosts, Ruben. The other co-host, Kabir, is unfortunately sick, so he's missing this one. And it was a bad one to miss, Cabs, because we're joined by an amazing guest. Jessa White is here, a therapist out of Seattle, to talk about how therapy plays into relationships and to dive into relationships, attachment styles, all sorts of things that I know all of you are going to really enjoy. Uh, So without further ado, I'll jump right into the episode. I hope you all like it. If you do, leave a like, comment. Make sure you check out all of Jess's stuff. It's going to be linked in the description. So you can check out her TikTok or Instagram. YouTube is going to be coming up soon as well. Um, And I'm sure you all are going to get a lot out of this conversation. So we'll see you in a second when it starts. Peace. Do you have any questions before we start? I don't think so. I mean, I'm ready to rock and roll. Ready to rock and roll? Yeah, why not? eh? was important. Well, then we'll start. Um, Welcome to On Your Mental, Jessa. I appreciate you being here and the journey. I mean, to, to give the audience a little snippet of what you've been doing today uh where did you where did you come from how are you here in vancouver right now uh, i'm a seattle-based therapist and i drove up through the border with my italian partner and my italian stallion my italian stallion partner and we're in line and there's about 15 cars in front of us and we picked the slowest agent ever and i'm Always. like they're gonna ask us a million questions and he goes we're just going to tell them we're going to Vancouver to get some bitches yeah. <laughs> and i was like don't say that did he he should no i was like don't say that don't say that border agents have zero tolerance for jokes hey no yeah it's she says bonjour so and he was like ciao and i was like hi <laughs> no i uh the last time i went down i went down to seattle actually last time i went to the states um and they, they make me feel so scared the, like I'm, the border agents like i'm gonna say something wrong even though like all i'm saying is oh i'm just going for a day trip you know, and that's legit all What are you is. doing that day? Right, right. Like, <laughs> fuck, am I smuggling something? I don't know. Maybe I am. She has this to roll down her back window. No, just yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the drive up was okay and everything. And I mean, it's raining. It's a shitty, um, shitty day. It's normal for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Same weather. Yeah, we were saying that when you came up. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you for being here, Jessa. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you reached out to us with the podcast mm-hmm. and said... I uh, think you'd make for a good female guest as a podcast that talks mainly about men's mental health. Yeah. And then when we got talking and you said relationships is something that your audience is interested in, I was like, oh, you got to get a girl on. Yeah, you got to get a yeah. girl perspective on yeah. relationships and a therapist too. So we can. Yeah. What better perspective? Marry all of those together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Marriage. Look at that. Huh? <laughs> oh, how <laughs> So funny. intentional. Yeah. Well, um, but yeah, for, for my audience, for people who maybe either have or haven't seen you pop up on TikTok, uh, you've been just blowing up in the TikTok space and sharing your your therapy wisdom, these nuggets of really, really good info on there uh, for, for people who are just wanting to better understand themselves and mental health. And I love that. I think that's really cool. Um, and you've been doing a great job with it. So I'm honored to have you here and get to hear about your perspective as a therapist on relationships in this modern life you know and uh we've all got questions always and before we sat down um you were talking about how there's like a, a sacred what's the right word sacredness yeah is that sacredness a word works there's a there's a sacredness <laughs> to relationships that ought to be respected right and and it's important that we maybe like get in touch with that from time to time and, and look at that. What does that sound like? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure some of that's going to come up today. 
uh, it has to be, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting into dating, I think for the wrong reasons at this point. Mm. And if we start taking it as serious as it is, uh, we're going to notice better partnerships. Mm-hmm. We're going to notice better life overall, happier, healthier, our mental health is going to look better. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to kind of reframe why we're getting into a relationship, which we're going to get into. Why, yeah. why are you choosing a partner? What, what appeals you to them? And, and what's the point of a relationship to you? Not what's the point because society tells you mm-hmm. that you should, mm-hmm. or it'll, it'll equal this, but more what does it mean to you? Mm-hmm. At an individual level, mm. right? There's a uniqueness to it. Yeah, what did your parents teach you? Because you, you're going to get into a relationship, sure. maybe trying to fix the wounds that they left mm-hmm. or replicating their relationship that that's not fitting for you. Mm-hmm. We're constantly falling into these traps, whether it be the values society puts on or the values our parents put on us. And and then we end up with people uh, X years down the road, and we're like, oh my God, how did I end up with this person? Am <laughs> Why am I how here? Am I you here? are not the one. <laughs> yeah, nah. It's, I wonder, and, and I don't know if I have the answer, maybe you have the answer, but I wonder if that's a kind of thing that you can only see sometimes looking back, but I think maybe therapy and the conversation we're going to have today can help you see it earlier. Is that kind of what we're suggesting here with the way that you might see and understand how finding the right partner kind of works? Yeah, you know, therapy is a great avenue for figuring yourself out. But my biggest, just to immediately get into giving advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what she's here for. Just <laughs> immediately to tell you what to do with your life is sitting in meditation. Hmm. Is uh, If you can sit in meditation, I recommend this to all my clients who come in and say, I, I just want a partner or here's the 15th guy that's left me dry Hmm. or here's the third girl I dated. That's totally wrong for me. I always ask them, well, what's right for you? And and how do you know that? Mm -hmm. And I get a a myriad of answers and I always say, well, let's sit and let's really think about this Hmm. in silence. And I'll say, I want you to think about your perfect partner or your perfect version of love for 10 minutes a day for the next week. Hmm. And come back next week and journal about it afterwards. And let's review the data. Yeah. Let's review seven days of data of what you have thought in silence and stillness about what love means to you, what partnership means to Mm -hmm. you. And let's create an intentional space for this person to come into your life. Because you're going to know if they're right at that point because you've investigated Mm -hmm. the the points that they need to have Mm -hmm. to be the right person before they even approach you. Interesting. People aren't doing that. Yeah. And... I, I'm sorry because I know I want to ask questions like there's specific <laughs> questions I want to ask but like this has me thinking stuff already um, we've had conversations on this podcast with uh, a good friend of mine Jeff Yu a few times and he's got a philosophy background I and great and <laughs> I, very exciting guy you know like really oh, yeah. loud but he's talked about relationships in the context of like logic how they play with each other because like logic ends where love begins sometimes but this is a way of creating real actionable steps to create data to understand something you know and not to be analytical about love like you shouldn't be you should also like follow your feelings to a degree but that's a really cool idea you know just to to sit in meditation for 10 minutes a day for a week and draw some stuff down that's that's interesting i love what you're saying about marrying to use it again Mm. marrying logic with love because you're saying they end at one point but what about putting them together Mm -hmm. what about Mm -hmm. that and it's less logic and more intention Hmm. and you're gonna love that you know yeah it's not like oh they must have this and they must have this it's that i listen to my heart and i ask myself what works with me Mm -hmm. what am i looking for what does partnership mean to me 
Mm-hmm. My therapist made me do this stupid exercise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on day six. And I've realized <laughs> that, you know, and, and this is a great example is, is my partner has a couple chronic illnesses, right? And so love for him means a nurturing partner. And when he considers his his health, his body, his future, he goes, well, I need someone who's a nurturer. Hmm. And, and a lot of men would say that, right? But the value behind that for That's him is huge. much larger given his circumstance. Right. And so if he didn't sit down and say that, he might meet a girl, beautiful woman, you know, but maybe she's a little bit more hard around the edges. Maybe mm. she doesn't have that internal motherly, which I don't, so I don't know why <laughs> I ended up with me. <laughs> but, you know, he sees that I can, I can meet that mm-hmm. inevitable need for him. Mm-hmm. And there, I, there is so much more value behind that for him. And that would come with reflecting and understanding for yourself why you need certain things in a relationship. What does it mean to you? Now, you're a therapist and we're going to get some therapy talk in here. It's <laughs> about as close as my audience will get to free therapy. Yes, <laughs> I love that. Um, so the, the first question I want to kind of kick things off with for us would be how relationships can benefit from individual therapy. If they can at all. I mean, I, I think the obvious answer is yes. But couples therapy aside, what's the value in going to therapy for yourself and how that would present in relationships, either immediately or down the line? Mm. Such a fantastic question. In the New York Times, they published a, a research study done by Hinge. and Hinge, Like the dating app. Hinge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Hinge found that 91% of millennials would prefer if their partners we're in therapy. Really? Wow. 91%. Eh? And I think I know why. Sure. I don't think millennials need their partners to be healed. Mm. Because I don't know any millennials that are. No, no. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's what we're asking for. Mm-hmm. I think millennials like thinking that their partner is attempting to become aware of their blind spots mm. and their emotions and learning the skills to communicate those. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that at all comes in like from a perspective of wanting to also protect yourself a little bit from needing to like help someone and, and be their therapist in quotations? Of course. Of you course. Because yeah. if you see them doing the work, then you know that you're not you're not the crutch. You're Does not that make sense? Or you're not the the what is it? The brunt of it, right? Mm-hmm. You're not the one that's going to receive somebody's unconscious biases, mm-hmm. unconscious behaviors, patterns taught to them by abusive or neglective parents. Mm-hmm. You're not going to end up getting gaslit. And if you are, you can say you're gaslit. I mean, that person's in therapy and they know yeah. that term. Yeah. So it's, there's, it's a full body of reasons why. But I love that study in particular because it just shows that we're really looking for people who are conscious of themselves mm-hmm. or at least attempting to become. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's going to benefit us is through therapy. And if, and I want to be so inclusive to the fact that I am, as a therapist, extremely aware mm-hmm. of the cost of therapy yeah. and the inability to receive the help you need. I'm also aware of how many bad therapists there are mm-hmm. out there. I have to tell you, it's been heartbreaking on my own TikTok page to be receiving comments from people saying things like, my therapist took our session while grocery shopping. I mean, I'm just shocked when I hear these things, but there are things you can do to gain that awareness that I think millennials and others are looking for when Mm -hmm. they're seeking out a partner who's in therapy. Mm -hmm. A great research study was done where they showed uh, journaling can be nearly as effective as cognitive behavioral therapy. 
journal, journal to get mm-hmm. to know yourself. Journal about, there's tons of prompts online that are free. Mm. I'm a, a Buddhist trained mindfulness-based transpersonal therapist. And so I'm going to probably push meditation in a disgusting yeah, way today, yeah, but yeah. like, because I, it's what made me, it's who I am. And it's, it's how I figured myself out even more than therapy as a therapist. Mm-hmm. So sit with yourself, mm-hmm. sit with yourself in, in meditation, not just to heal your anxieties, to heal your depression, but sit in meditation to get to know who am I? Mm-hmm. How does my brain work? So you can, confront a partner and say, I think I know myself because I've realized after X amount of months meditating that I'm constantly thinking this way. So you're going to notice these patterns too. Right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think if I look back at, and, and counseling and therapy are different, right? Um, I, I've never gone through therapy, but I have gone to a counselor um, and it was all over the phone because I started counseling like uh, mid-pandemic, right? So nothing was in person. It was all over the phone. And, and it worked for me. And one of the things that it got me to to understand about myself was my fear of conflict. Um, and I've wrote more about that too in journaling. I've broken it down and sat with that more to understand it. And since then, I've I've shared that with my partner. You know, like I've made it clear that like sometimes I'm just avoiding a conversation because I see it as conflict, even though I know it's not like at the end of the day, I know it won't be, but I see it that way. And it's kind of hard for me not to sometimes. Um, And that's helped as far as like making it seem like I'm not just ignoring, you you know what I mean? Like I'm not ignoring the conversation. My mood might look a little weird right now because of this. And it can explain that and make it to come back to your point of like communication being improved by this, right? That's my way of communicating around not communicating sometimes. You know, I I, I know I'm not, and it's this reason, but I'll get there. And and sometimes it is just a matter of like force myself to have that conversation. Mm. Right? That's the part I'm still working on is like seeing that it's not conflict. Have you learned why you're avoiding conflict? What's the fear inside of you? Uh, my fear is always a negative response. Yeah. I mean, that's the obvious fear with conflict, right? It, and But it's like a negative response that's to an extreme, you know, that that whatever thing I bring up will lead to like a massive fight. doesn't matter what the thing might be. It could be so small or it leads to a breakup. Yeah. You know, I don't want to bring this up because what if it's like just pushing us in the wrong direction? What if I'm too much? But what if it's too much? Yeah, yeah. And it rarely is. You know, and it, it's all built up in, in my own head. You know, this is my little mini therapy moment. Here, you know? um, but yeah, I found that counseling was great with that, but writing was great with that, you know, and it's, that's the free part of it, right? To your point of like therapy being sometimes inaccessible, but there's so much benefit to therapy of some form in understanding yourself to benefit relationships, right? It's, it's huge. Absolutely. Huge. And, and that, that fear of abandonment or that fear of argument, that fear that you have in there. If, if anybody listening goes, oh my gosh, that's me too. Grab out a journal and write, I am afraid that if I bring up something negative, my partner will leave me. Hmm. Write that sentence physically, pen and paper, and look at it. And then write out next, right below it, why? Hmm. Where does this stem from? Mm-hmm. And then write, how do I feel when I think this way? Mm-hmm. There's your first intervention. Right. You just looked at a a, a a part of yourself you don't love, right? And then mm-hmm. you looked at how it shows up, mm-hmm. why it shows up. And then you're 
reflecting now on that trait, mm-hmm. which is what we do in therapy, honey. Yeah, yeah. You're just doing it by yourself. I'm constantly doing that in therapy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, how did that feel to say that? Mm-hmm. Oh, it felt bad. Okay, well, what's bad? Mm-hmm. And where? Right. And I think it's it's it could be easy for someone to kind of discount that as like, oh, how can that be helpful? But when you have these thoughts, let's say like taking this example, right? Like me saying like, oh, I'm afraid of conflict or I fear conflict. It makes me uncomfortable. And I, I see difficult conversations as conflict. If I didn't ask myself why, I'm not going any further, you know? And so to have a therapist say those things back to you and help you dig, but asking the right questions to help you dig and start to understand is very powerful. Of course. Right. So I, I see obviously how relationships can benefit from therapy with an individual, right? Couples therapy would be its own thing, but that's not what we're talking about. So we're talking about therapy for yourself. One of the things that I imagine comes up a, a fair bit in therapy sessions, perhaps, um, as you're dealing with people talking about stuff going on in relationships would be attachment styles. Oh my gosh. And it is time. something that has I've been already been I've you. already been yeah. looking at your attachment style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as thanks. you're telling me this, yeah. I'm like, hmm, I have some data. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious to hear it. Um yeah, what what are the attachment styles? Sure. And why would it benefit someone to know them? There's a couple ways to explain attachment and I want to be of course, give the lineage respect, right? So who who started attachment? Yeah, yeah. Where does so it come Im- from? Where does it come yeah. from? It's so important, and we need to understand the actual study. Because nowadays what you see, and I will raise my hand and admit that I'm one of these people, is on TikTok, symptoms of anxious attachment style, and then it's a list of symptoms. Mm-hmm. People read the symptoms and go, boom, that's me. And that's great. It is a gateway into understanding attachment. Mm-hmm. But I also would really love if as many people understood who came up with this theory, mm-hmm. this well-respected theory in mm-hmm. psychological communities? And and what was the study that its origins came from, mm-hmm. right? Is the person who came up with attachment styles, is that the same person that came up with love languages? No. No, no interesting. No, the okay. five, yeah, cool. the five love languages is separate. Cool. Um, gosh, Hinge has a prompt for like, what is your five, mm-hmm. what's your most love yeah, language? Yeah. And I, I was like, wow, mm. psychology is bleeding into everything. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. I love it. But no, they're... Two, two people are the the really the founders of attachment, and that's mm. going to be John Bowlby. Uh, he is a British man. He is a psychiatrist by trade, meaning he prescribes drugs. And he met an incredible Canadian-born. Oh, really? <laughs> Canadian-born woman. She moved and lived in America for most of her her degree and her studies. But uh, Mary Ainsworth. Mm. And they came together in a really beautiful, synchronistic way because he was coming at it so much from psychiatry and she was coming at it from so much of theory and sitting on the couch with somebody yeah and they also met at a really fantastic time where ethology was starting ethology is the study of looking at things in naturalistic environments in in, in like what sense like let's say you want to study birds right Mm. What they would do usually is they would captive, you know, take captive the bird and like then you're saying. look at it in a cage and talk about it. But this was coming out saying like, let's let's look at them in their natural habitat and observe in this way. Look at something in the setting that it's meant to be in. Exactly. Interesting. And this was done in uh, during the same time with geese. Hmm. There was a lot of studies with, uh, they're called gooselings when they're babies, mm-hmm. which is so cute. Gooselings or goslings? Is it goslings? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I've, like Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I believe that. I believe they're called Goslings. 
I love that even better. Yeah. <laughs> I read it and I was like, oh, I've never heard that word before. It's very cute. It's so cute. Okay, so like goslings, yes. Mm. They're the baby geese. Yeah, the baby geese. The baby geese, they will they'll take them away from their mothers and they'll see that these these baby geese will attach to whatever they're given the opportunity to attach to. Hmm. So researchers were allowing them to attach to them, researchers themselves. They even had them attached to cardboard. I mean, this is like the beginning of attachment. Yeah, There was yeah. a 1960 study where they were looking at rhesus monkeys. And they had a, it's a very famous study, where they had a, a cage. They put the monkey in a cage. They had a cloth surrogate mother so a mother that was covered in some cloth and then they had a mother that was wire that had food for for the Mm. monkey and when given the choice the monkey would stay about 22 hours on this cloth monkey Mm. just kneading it with its little paws and really looking for comfort from that cloth and then it would only go over to the wire to receive food for the seconds it needed food Mm. and the whole research study was where does attachment lie? Is it within food or is it within comfort? And they found it was within comfort. So now you're- It's not about survival then. No, it's not. It's all about comfort and love and affection Mm. and feeling soothed internally. This is already making me think of like, okay, well then what soothes you? Like what what do you need to be soothed with internally? But sorry, I continue. Mm, This is perfect. You're Mm. thinking like Bowlby and Amesworth. There you go. They were like, we're trying to understand attachment but we need to take them in their natural environment with their mothers. Mm-hmm. In the, the case of this research study, it has been replicated with other caretakers. And watch how a child is soothed by the mother. Mm. So that's what they did, and that's how the study started. They took toddlers into a room. They had the mother walk in holding the toddler. There was a stranger in the room. The research study is called The Strange Situation. Mm. And <laughs> the the mother's holding the baby. The baby feels a little bit like, what's going on here? Who's this stranger? There's a ton of toys. After a few minutes, of course, the baby's like, I'm cool. The toddler mm-hmm. starts to play with the toys. And then they put the toddler under extreme stress, which for a toddler yeah. means mother leaves the room for about three minutes. Okay. And they observed the children's reactions. And this is where attachment style began. Cool. Okay. This is the birth, baby. This is it. This is it. So if you can understand, it's it was they looked at toddlers and said, how did this toddler respond when their comfort left? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's their attachment to their mother? Do they freak out? And when the mother returns, are they instantly soothed? Right. Because that's like the ultimate comfort for a, for a toddler. Right. For us as little babies, it's your mom, right? Being with your mom. So then it's what are they? It's necessary for survival. Yeah. 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 Toddlers don't have enough vocabulary to explain what's really going on internally. Mm-hmm. So they cry and the mother interprets what's going on. Right. And then takes care of that baby. And those are moments of connection mm-hmm. and moments of security. And that's that comfort piece, right? Like comfort for survivability, not like survivability from that food example, right? With the, with the wires, with the monkey. But the comfort being the thing that needs to be there throughout in order to have a successful, I guess, growth as a life. As a life, yeah, a life yeah. right? So they looked at the the different toddler experiences of if a mother comes in, after the three minutes. So in most of the cases, the babies will instantly cry, of course. Mm. And then when the mother comes in, that's what they're really looking for. So in secure attachment styles, when the mother leaves, the and baby... So secure is one of the attachment oh, styles. Yeah, no, yeah. What, what are them? What of are course, they? yes. Yeah. The three that I really talk about, there is a fourth, but the three I really pay attention to is mm. avoidant attachment, 
secure attachment and anxious attachment. Cool. Okay. Secure falls in about 70% of the population. Interesting. Wow. And would you only have one typically? Mm, it's a spectrum. Cool. Total spectrum. Depends on your relationship you're currently in. Mm. Um, but people tend to lean a little bit into one. Mm-hmm. Uh, secure attach is not that any are better than any, but it's, it's the goal, right? It's like the, the healthier of the three. Yeah. A mm. secure attached baby, when the mother leaves, the baby begins to cry. Mm. And then when the mother comes back, the baby is still crying as it should. And the mother picks up the baby and then the baby quickly can be soothed mm. and then it can resume playing. Mm. So they're amygdala, the fear center in their brain. They're able to go from fear, 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 fear. My comfort is here and I trust this comfort mm-hmm. back down to I'm okay. I'm safe. Right. Right. They can make that switch, that mm. transition. Avoidant. Easily. Mm-hmm. Avoidant, which I... <laughs> I reside within oh, and I have <laughs> the glasses here. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. a little lift of the glasses. I resign as a as a avoidant leaning more towards secure now with tons of work and a couple little key things you've already slipped in. I'm mm. curious how this sits with you. Mm-hmm. Avoidant uh, attached babies. When the mother leaves, they do cry, but they they'll often stifle this cry. Mm. They'll hold it in. So their heart will still be beating. They'll still be sweating. They'll still be having a lot of internal emotions that are noticeable to researchers. Hmm. But they have learned that it's not okay to cry. Hmm. It's not smart to because they don't get the attention or support when they behave in this way. Right. So they don't. Hmm. And when the mother returns, they know to not show that they were in distress because when they are in distress, the parent tends to turn their back on them anyways. Mm. I see what you're getting now with like what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I find that interesting that like, yeah, the way I'm describing how I like see conflict, like I don't want to have it. Cause to me, if you want to say bringing up the problem, like that would be like the crying and the situation with the toddler, right? Like expressing that I'm not okay right now is sometimes difficult for me to do um so that does sound avoidant (laughs) in those moments i find that weird like if i were to look at it as like how i was as a kid um i cried when i needed to cry but my mom has told me that i I didn't cry often but i never felt as though like i couldn't with my mom no i don't know and this is what's so interesting about it is again we were looking at 18 month olds Mm. so we don't have memories to tell us what we were like i don't know it's and i do this great uh, experiment with my clients where I'll say, let's go back to mm. the beginning. And by the beginning, I mean, when your parents met mm. and let's look at what was going on in their life. What do you know about their experiences when they met? How can you assume they were feeling mm. right? So for me, my parents were 18 when they had my brother and 21 when they had me, mm. they were, you know, not educated. They were living in, in low socioeconomic status mm. and, how could I assume they felt? Well, stressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so every time I cried, I could imagine my poor mother, and this is nothing against her, I love the woman, but that was probably pretty annoying and heavy yeah. and an extra thing yeah. on her already full plate. Mm-hmm. So me crying would have been taught to me at 18 months to not do that. Right. And so I had to go back to what was going on for my parents for me to understand why I was 
avoidant, not going through a list of symptoms that I found and going, well, this and it, they do also align, mm -hmm. but it becomes more powerful and I'm, I can sit more in. I was avoidant when I understand also what was going on for my life at 18 months hmm. and what can I assume was going on during that time? Because now you're actually using the research mm. to mm -hmm. fuel your answer to what attachment style you right, think you Right, to are. try and figure it out. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I'm curious about that, the anxious then mm -hmm. uh, attachment style. And I mean, I guess a part of also why I'm a little bit curious about anxious attachment and hearing you describe um Sorry, avoidant? Mm -hmm. That's it? Okay, avoidant attachment style. Um, to think about like where your parents met, I can't do that. My father was a sperm donor, so I don't have a parents meeting. So it's, it's, it's a weird circumstance to think of like how did my mom approach being a mother? I know some background with her and like what led to, to me being born taking what I do know about what my mom's journey to being a mother was, I can imagine there was like a level of determination in becoming a mother and really wanting that to work without having a partner and deliberately choosing to not have a partner in this, which I find interesting in my mom, my mom's own life, but how that affects me and how I view relationships. I don't even know sometimes where to dig into it, but anyways, uh, avoidant detachment, Anxious attachment is what you're going to get into, but I'm curious about that and That's how so that might funny. relate to me. These are my cuties. I love anxious <laughs> attached people <laughs> so much because they're they're just a lot, and they're a lot in the most fun way. Mm. Because what happens with anxious attached babies is they cry a lot, right? Mm. The mother leaves and they're crying a lot, but when the mother returns, they don't stop crying either. Mm. And for them, it's you know, it's because they don't trust what's going on. They don't trust that the mom is even back. And are for they going to leave again? Exactly. And mm. for how long are they back? And what does this mean? And that ends up transferring into adult relationships. Mm. And so in this study, they went and tested the same children at five years old. Not surprisingly, the kids that were in secure attachment had more social capabilities in kindergarten, mm. um, ease, ease of leaving the, the family unit and going on to have more independence as school began. And, mm. and then you can see this in adults, how it plays out. No kidding. Can, and this is just a thought from hearing these different examples of attachment styles. Can, like, how often do you see an outside influence kind of sway your attachment style? Can that happen? And like, how quickly does that happen to someone? Like, let's say someone has a secure attachment style. Does it take just one bad relationship to break that, to push them out of that attachment? Oh, wow. That's a beautiful question. Um, I have been taught in some of my uh, courses I've taken on attachment to ask clients, if you were to be hospitalized, who would the first phone call you would make is? Mm. Or if you want to go more positive, if you were to get the job of your dreams, who's sure. the first yeah. phone call you make? I like and the hospital one more. It's more intense. It's more intense. It's higher stakes. Dark, here. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they say that if there's, you know, if you have a, an answer to that, and a lot of the times it's someone's spouse that they answer, um, that now moved, right? Now your attachment is your spouse. Mm. So yes, your attachment style does change per who the new attachment figure is and how they are teaching you and informing you mm. about your attachment style. However, I would say if you are really cognizant of this, like, mm. okay, I'm an avoidant attachment and you get with another avoidant attachment, right? 
that's not going to further push you down the I'm now even. Yeah, okay. Because you're just you. If you're cognizant of it, mm. if you're aware. Now, if you're not aware of what's going on, you have no idea why am I acting this way? Where does this come from? Mm-hmm. You can be swayed mm-hmm. into behaving in different ways and conforming to different styles. But I think nowadays there's so much there's a body of information out and so many people do have a general idea of what they are mm. and it would be easier to spot when they're rapidly changing to an right. attachment style. <laughs> like, right. oh, I was anxious. I used to text people all the time, but people have called me clingy and so now I don't talk about my feelings at all. So you could end up going into avoidant, but your inclination towards anxious attached is still mm-hmm. going to be in the back of your mind. Are they going to leave me? Do they think I'm this? So mm-hmm. you're still behaving anxious or thinking anxious. You're just behaving avoidant. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That to you? does make sense. Yeah. My, I was like starting to laugh just as you were saying, like, are they going to leave me? And I was starting to laugh in my head. It's like, would you love me if I'm a snail? You know, like <laughs> oh, that, yeah. that whole one, you know, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, great. Well, thanks for the, I mean, a very brief summary of what the attachment styles are. So brief. If there's, there's all this fourth. research around and there's a fourth, there's, what is the fourth just to go surface level? Of course, disorganized. This is in extreme mm. cases, approximately 5% of the population. Um, extreme cases of abuse in the household, incarceration in the household. Um, these babies would do all sorts of funky baby things when mm. their parent would leave, slam their head against the wall, throw toys, no shit. you know, um, defecate on the floor, all sorts of really, really uh, disorganized behavior. Yeah. And and I, I don't touch as much on this one only because it is such a small portion of the population, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is one for sure. Interesting. Yeah. And disorganized in the sense of like an unexpected response to if so many or so much of the population, 95 then percent fits into those other three categories with 70% being secured, right? Like that's like an anomaly, mm-hmm. right? That would be pretty, pretty jarring to see even in a research setting, you mm-hmm. know, I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. So taking like what they are right now, we've, we've kind of gone over that. Why is it important in a relationship setting to understand that? And maybe even to understand first yourself and like what your attachment style is, but like what value is there in respecting what your partner's attachment style is and knowing what it is and them knowing what it is? You know, this is a bit of a layered question, but like what, like where, why does that matter? Why is that important? Yeah. I think we're already calling back to one of the first things we said in this episode, which is you have to consider what is my intentionality with getting into a relationship. Mm. And for me and for many of my clients in some form or another, they say they want to experience happiness in their life right? and healing in their life. Well, to get towards healing in a relationship, it's good if you both have a understanding of where, what are you coming in with? What's your mm. stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the baggage you bring if you want to use that term? Yeah, yeah. what's the baggage you bring? Mm-hmm. And and can we join together to move ourselves into a secure attached? Can I identify your behaviors? Um, wow, you know, honey, I went out for the night and you texted me 17 times asking me what I was doing. And then I came home and you berated me with questions about who I was with. Mm-hmm. This is your your anxious attachment style showing up, which means you were feeling abandoned. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know, I tried to respond to those, but I was also attempting to be present with my friends. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean I don't love you any less. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean I'm planning on leaving you. I was just busy for the night. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> right. Right. They feel seen. They feel heard. They also had a mirror mm. placed on them. And I will, I want a relationship where somebody gives me a mirror from a kind and loving mm-hmm. location, but I want a mirror. Right. So I can see my tendencies. And so you can know that your partner sees them too. You know, that you aren't 
you're not crazy. You know, like, am I crazy for feeling this way? Am I crazy for thinking this? I ask myself that sometimes, you know? No, you're just a baby. Yeah, yeah. That's why I tell yeah. my partner, whenever he's being a mess, I'm like, you're just a baby. He's 10 years older than me or nine years older than me. I'm always like, you're still a baby, honey. Mm. Like, you're responding from your baby self. And I love your baby self. But we don't have, you know, we're not going to be mean to the baby here. Mm-hmm. But we're going to acknowledge that we're being our baby self. We're being our scared self. Mm-hmm. We're worried that if we bring up a conflict, you're going to leave us, which is just your little baby. Yeah. Worried mm-hmm. that you're going to be left. And trying to express that in the way it knows how. Trying to express it like an adult usually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just compartmentalizing <laughs> yeah. and hiding and yeah. <laughs> all the tricks that we put up. Mm-hmm. But can someone point out those tricks and say, oh, mm-hmm. sweetie, I noticed. To latch on for a second to that example that you gave of the person who's texting their partner while they're out. Is that wrong? Is wrong even an okay word to use to describe that? Maybe you would use a different word to describe it. Should that be changed? Should that be improved on? Should that be adjusted? I would say it is data. Mm. It's information. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I would go, wow, thank you so much for providing me information. Or even say that to yourself at the end Mm -hmm. of the night. You look at your text, and usually I see this in my clients. They feel a lot of shame after doing something like that. Mm. Oh, I don't like that I acted that way. I must have looked this way towards them. And I go, oh, but what an opportunity to learn about yourself. Yeah. To see how your anxious attachment style spirals you out of your truest form, which is love, Mm -hmm. and puts you into panic. It's data. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the more we use the information and we reflect on it, the the closer we're going to come to growth and, yeah. and getting out of it because it doesn't feel good, right? And then earlier when we were talking about the attachment styles, like there there is work that you can do to move towards a secure attachment style. And I guess in that kind of scenario, right? Like it would be a lot to ask someone to just suddenly like cold turkey stop. And then of course, if the partner responded in a certain way and was like, like, yo, don't fucking text me like that. Like that, that would hurt too. And then that makes you feel like, okay, so what I am doing is wrong, but there's like a, there's a medium to that, a middle ground that can be reached in in the way that you would approach that. Like I've, I've seen this as, and that's why I'm asking about why I'm curious about it is like, you could just say like, I'm going to be out, the person who's out, you know, the partner that's out in this situation, I'm going to be out for a couple hours. I'll text you as soon as I'm on my way home. Like, you know, like giving that kind of like confirmation, I'm just going to be with my friends. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Um, Maybe that would put that person at ease rather than needing to send all those texts. Absolutely. And the person who receives the don't do that to me, you're crazy, all Mm. that stuff. That person can easily say, you know what? This is my abandonment Mm -hmm. wound. Mm -hmm. This is my attachment style showing. And I'm interested in a partnership of movement towards growth Mm -hmm. and healing. And your response to me right now doesn't place me on that trajectory. Not at all. That's not what a relation, and that's where I'm, you know, starting from the beginning, intentionality. Mm -hmm. Now that can be course corrected. You can say to your partner, this is my attachment. This is my abandonment showing up. Mm-hmm. This is my, you know, whatever. And I need this from you going forward if we're going to be in a healing relationship, which is what the type mm-hmm. of love I'm looking for is. Mm-hmm. And getting to a place where you could say that to a partner, oh, and ask yeah. that to a partner, that's a whole other story. But that's where things like therapy, meditation, self-reflection, journaling, that kind of stuff can come in mm-hmm. and can help get you to that place where you can then have that as a response to that thing that would otherwise, especially I'm sure younger people, right? Like who haven't, done the work yet right if you were met with that response you may just honestly think like should i i'm i can't be reacting this way i'll be left exactly yeah you're leaving yourself when you don't respond like that 
You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. When you take somebody else's, you can't do that. You're crazy. And you believe that. That's them. That's them, honey. That's not you. That's not you. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to have wounds. Mm-hmm. It, it makes us beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if you want to heal them, find somebody that's willing to do the work with yeah. you and heal them with you. Yeah. But don't let somebody else judge you for your attempt at healing. Mm-hmm. And if someone's not going to be willing to do the work with you. Yeah, there's a lot of people on Hinge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's a perfect segue. Oh my God, I was going to ask. Um, to to your point of the, the Hinge study that came out that was saying that, or Hinge, I guess, funded, backed, whatever study uh, with the New York Times that came out that said that 91% of millennials want a partner who is going to therapy. <laughs> To to that effect, it makes me think of pickiness, which we talked about in our first call that we we had with each other. Pickiness in your partner. Should you be picky about the partner that you're with, your romantic partner? Yeah, it's so funny. My partner and I were driving up today, and I said, "Honey, should you be picky with your partner?" Mm. And he goes, "What?" Mm. <laughs> and I asked again. He goes. I mean, you're picky with the toppings you put on your, your sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> if you can be picky with that. Mm. I started laughing, but I do a great exercise with my clients that come in and say, I'm really looking for love or a relationship where I have them write out every single characteristic that they are looking for in a partner. Mm. And I've done this exercise myself and I can tell you that my partner is a exact manifestation of that list. Wow. But here's the caveat. Mm. But because I went out on so many dates that once somebody did not fit that list, I was confident enough to say, you're a great person, but I'm, I'm not going to further investigate whether this should be a relationship because I have this list that I'm mm-hmm. trusting in. Mm-hmm. So yes, I do think people should be extremely picky. I think everyone should sit down in a deeply mindful way and say, what am I looking for in a partner down to it all? What am I looking for for their religious background, their spiritual background, their um, proclivity to partying? Mm. People should ask questions. What kind of friends do I want this person to have? Mm. You can be vain if vanity and, and, and appearance is a high value of yours. What do you want them to look like? Mm-hmm. Right? Do it all mm-hmm. and put it down in a way that comes from your heart space, not from the values that society has. Yeah. Told you that you should be looking for. Yeah, exactly. Really sit in your heart space. And if you Mm -hmm. can do this and you can align yourself with what am I looking for, you'll notice when the wrong people enter in. And what I find so much is people come and they say, well, I'm dating this person and it's okay or it's going good, but they're not this or, you know, and I always wish, you know, and I don't as a therapist, but I wish I could say, then why? Mm -hmm. This is the most important decision of your life, honey. Mm hmm. You have your whole one life to be two separate humans choosing to live side by side. Mm -hmm. And this comes back to that sacredness of what a relationship is and how big of a decision it really is to to, to pick a person. And it is okay, I guess, to be picky. Do you think that, I mean, obviously you do. I mean, you said you did that you can be picky to that extent. Like, how long did that take you to come up with that list anyways? Like, what did that look like? It was a couple of therapy sessions with my therapist. Mm-hmm. We went over it and over it. And he asked me why and how does it feel to say that? And why and how does it feel to say that? I probably went on, I don't know, a hundred dates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
it's tricky, you know, is it okay to be that picky? It's how I chose to do it. Now, yeah. some people might have a much more narrow list. Some people, I just want a good person. I want a, a person who wants to be a good father and a stable provider. And mm. that's, that's perfect. And that's plenty fold out oh, there. That's interesting. Okay. That's yeah. plenty fold out yeah. there. It's, it's not bad to have your list be short. Mm mine was long that's because it's my style of what i needed from somebody i had a yeah. lot of <laughs> criteria to me mm -hmm. and and it, i i believe that because i put that intention out i did find it mm. i think other people can there's seven billion people on this earth and eight billion now eight billion people yeah, on this earth God's we've been talking so there's probably a billion more yeah. <laughs> you know for sure and there's so many apps and so many opportunities and mm -hmm. and i want people to to at least try the experiment of mm. being picky, at least try the experiment of looking for what they want. Even if that's not what ends up being, it's not a failed attempt mm -hmm. because you got closer to your values. You got a better idea of what you're looking for. And often, and this is what's so beautiful, often that list is a reflection of what you're trying to become hmm. and what you want. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, when I asked you like what your, your list looked like and how it came to be, right? Like why, why so, why you think that being that picky is, is good. I think it is because to me, I wouldn't want a list that big, right? But you saying that that's okay. Like, that's cool. You know, like, that's that, that makes me feel better in my head about like, okay, like, it's okay not to have a big list. Oh my gosh. I've had friends who are like, I just want the guy to be sporty. Mm. I want the guy to be outdoorsy and I want him to be funny. Mm. And I'm like, perfect Good. that is the best list ever yeah that's the best then go find that and then you know what if you go out on a date with the guy and he tells you i'd rather go to a club than on a hike and he tells you that he's you know allergic to grass mm. and then he tells you that he threw up uh going for a walk the other day like he's that's not, not the one that's not the one but what people do is they go oh, he's hot yeah. <laughs> for sure yeah he's six foot <laughs> yeah yeah I checked a couple boxes yeah it's um and I think in one of our conversations in like a previous episode, I had I had asked the question with whoever was here. I don't remember who it was at the time. It must have been Jeff. He must have been there. But I, I had asked if we thought that maybe there wasn't like the one to meet, that there is a one. And you describing this long list made me think like, oh, like there's got to be the one person there. But still, there could be a number of people that would meet all of those items on even a long list, you know. And it's a matter of, I think, like when you find someone that I guess checks off that list, and for me, it would be a shorter list. But if it checks off that list, stick in it, you know, like recognize it and stick in it and be okay with it. And then learn to overcome and grow and develop as a, as a partnership, right? I think that would be the the way to go. How do you feel about that? That the one versus a one. I'm so glad you brought that up. Mm. So glad because there's one of my favorite quotes by the former monk Jay Shetty. He says, mm. "If you do not take the time to reflect, your distractions become your values by default." Mm. If you're not taking the time to slow down and ask yourself, what does love mean to me? You are going to end up believing that love is Cinderella, soulmate, somebody is your one. Mm -hmm. And that's because that is the default distracted value that we are told right. since infancy. That's the, the societal view that gets pressed onto you. Such BS. Yeah. <laughs> Such BS, honey. Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. There can't be a the one or the I mean, this is opinion based, of course, but I don't I don't buy that. I don't mm -hmm. 
I don't feel invigorated when someone says to me, this is my soulmate. He's the one or they're the one. I, I always see that and I'm like, what do you like? I love really? asking after. Mm. What do you like about them? Mm. Why did you decide to marry them? You watch uh, Love is Blind at all? So remember that quote by Jay Shetty. No, 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 this is great. Remember that quote by Jay Shetty. Mm. If you don't take the time to reflect, your distractions become your values by default. I yes. do not watch any reality television. In fact, I don't watch like nearly any television. Props to you. Big book reader. But I can't. It, I mm. can't let. I'm too susceptible. Mm. <laughs> the the gist because I've been watching this. With I heard Nick Lachey and and oh yeah, they yeah, run it. yeah, yeah, they yeah, run yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the gist is that you have conversations with people in these pods and you like go to different ones and talk to different people and start to like gravitate towards the same ones that you want and you don't see them, right? The whole idea is that you take out the, the physical Love side of it, right? Love is blind. But I just get mad watching it because I think it's absolute horseshit. These people come out of these pods is what they're called, right? And then once they leave the pods, then they meet the person who they've chosen to to be with in God, person. What an anxiety provoking situation. Absolutely. And like they've at this point proposed, by the way, like <laughs> you've now talked to these people for like two weeks oh, and no. now you're engaged to be married. That's how you like get out of the pods in the first place. You have to like propose forced proposal basically. And then like they're doing like, you know, like, like confessionals, like they're talking to the camera. Right. And they're saying like, like they're off to the side, they're doing their own thing, getting a little interview. And they're saying things like, oh, this is my soulmate. Like I've, I've met this person and I, like I've never felt this way about somebody. The generic lines. Bullshit. Yeah. It feels like you're just telling yourself that yeah. to make yourself believe that. And I think that though, that can present itself in real life relationships let's say you don't watch tv you don't do anything like that someone in a, a relationship that maybe isn't the right one might be trying to convince themselves that this is checking off their boxes on their list using the catchphrases yeah yeah doing something to tell themselves like yeah this is it this is the one it's got to be you know mm -hmm. it doesn't yeah. have to be i was talking to a friend and she says i really know the person you're with is is your person mm -hmm. and i said why is that and she goes because when i asked you what you feel about him you said he is the most interesting person you've ever met. And I think that's my version of the one. Yeah. He is the most interesting person I've ever met. I'm mm -hmm. fascinated by his mind. I'm fascinated by his, his interests. And I'm fascinated by his intricacies. They're... As a therapist, you know, I, I don't understand him, mm. I, but I do, but I... It's I, not working. It's just something's <laughs> up, but I'm like, this is so exciting, and yeah. there's so many flavors, and you know, he's we're in a multicultural relationship, so he's from a, a different place in the world, and he just has a different outlook on things, mm. and I appreciate that, and... And I think that she's getting on what we're getting at. When she heard me say that, that novelty of mm -hmm. saying somebody's your one because they're interesting or somebody is the one because you're so comfortable in their presence or that feels like, you know, something different than those mainstream mm -hmm. sentences is when you're like, mm, there might be something behind this because this person is reflecting on their relationship mm -hmm. and, and, and giving it a description that's unique to them, which it should be mm -hmm. because it's love. Yeah, that's great. I'm not going to watch Love is Blind. Don't. Please don't. <laughs> don't. I, I barely want to, but now like I, I see it and I'm hooked. I got to see what happens. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. There's only two more episodes. I heard left, it's Seattle. It is. It's Seattle yeah, now. Yeah. Some of my friends know the people and like oh, have gone on God. dates with some of the dudes and stuff. It's, oh my I got a text God. from one of my friends. She's like, oh my God, he stood me up and now he's on there. And I'm like, oh <laughs> God. Dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, on that point then of like uh, apps. Mm. Right, you, you brought up apps a couple times in our conversation. Hinge at the very beginning with their New York Times study. Um, 
Are dating apps healthy? God. <laughs> I have my own views on yeah, this. Yeah, can I so flip like, it around? Do yeah, you mind? Yeah, yeah. So, so hey, on the on the t- topic of yeah. dating apps, are are they healthy? I yes, I think that they are. I have my own reservations of them, and I'm glad I'm done with them. Oh. If I can say that, the person that I'm with at the moment, um, I say at the moment just for like reference to my audience. You know, the person I'm with. Yeah, I I, I met them on a dating app. Um, I met them five years ago. Mm. We weren't together the whole time. Uh, it wasn't until the end of last year that we got back together. Uh, after some real significant work and me being in another relationship and um, without going like crazy into detail, um, realizing that the person I'm with right now was the one that I still wanted to be with. There was something there that was holding me back. Um, I confronted it and it was a part of it was like, I'm afraid of having a difficult conversation and I was just not wanting to do it. And that will be a story that if I get to telling that I will tell it with my partner, like they would come on if oh, they would ever be open gosh, to talk. Send like, me that for sure. But that, that's, I mean, I'm following long you know, down the line. Yeah. And that would be, if it You're ever even happens, now, you know and that? that's perfect. I'm glad <laughs> you're there. Um, and that would be, if it was even something that we wanted to, to air out to the world, you know what I mean? Like, like why is our business somebody else's? But because um, I want it to be. <laughs> because I want it to be. It's content. But I battle with that too sometimes. Like whenever I do talk about my relationship or relationships in the past as well, I, I hesitate a little bit because I think I don't want someone to be taken out of context for one. And I don't want to say something just because it's content, you know? Um, so that's why I don't get into crazy detail. But the, the long story short of it is that um, I avoided having a difficult conversation while we had been together. I chose to leave the relationship rather than have the difficult conversation and spent time apart, thought I was good, thought I had like moved on, you know, mm-hmm. um, met somebody else who was amazing, fantastic person. That's another thing to like, to your point of like, you can, you're really great. You know, like you date people and like, you are really great. Nothing wrong with this person. There was just something that was bringing me back to this other person. Right. And so I had to, um, and I, I'm very much in love with this person. I have been very much in love with this person. And I guess I had been even when I was telling myself I wasn't. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, how lucky is she? I mean, well, I mean, both. how lucky am I? How lucky are you? That's how lucky is your, is your ex to, you know, that's a pain. That's a, mm. that's a grievance. That's, it sucks to be left for someone else. It does. Mm. But it's also a gift, mm. an opportunity to find somebody who is their person, mm-hmm. who will think about them as their person, mm-hmm. who will say that, she is the most interesting person yeah. ever, right? And not be interested in someone else. You gave her a great, great gift, an opportunity to experience breakup and learn and grow. And then now you're in this new, old but new partnership mm. where it's just this, you got your eagle eye on them. And that's yeah. a beautiful opportunity. And yeah. you're, it's so noticeable how happy are you are. Like, and it feels that like we like picked back up where we left off. You lit up when you start talking about her. And in the, in the uh, call we did too, you were just, mm. I'm like, Oh, he's, this is a man in love. Yeah. She's, <laughs> yeah, she's all right. No, she's great. Um, but yeah. And like learning from not having those difficult conversations to, to that point of with this person who is now my ex, I did tell them the, the truth of what it was, what I was feeling. Right. I didn't, because I felt like I left the person I'm with now hanging. 
you know, I felt like I left them without a real reason and like a real understanding of why I was leaving the relationship. And I felt like I can't do that again now to this person. So I had to tell them the truth and the, the, what made me uncomfortable, right. And shared that with them. And hopefully at least then you're right. Like they, they can leave knowing the real reason why this wasn't working. And it wasn't a shot at them. It was that I, I need to be with this other person. No. Well, you also healed your avoidant attachment style in that. So, in that way. Yeah, and a, and a quick sidebar. Uh, for anxious people, a great way to heal that is to self-soothe, okay? So when you're feeling something intense, you use yourself as that parent figure. You treat yourself like the cloth monkey. Mm. You return inward. You do things that bring you joy, not distract, like have an app open while the Netflix is playing on the Mm -hmm. background and maybe you have a radio in the other room, not distract your thoughts out of it, but go inward and say, I feel best when I'm doing yoga. I feel best in the shower. I feel best when I'm journaling. I feel best when I'm walking and go do one of those when you're in a spiral of your anxious attachment Mm. style. And for avoidant people, when you're noticing you're in a relationship and you have this emotion or this experience that you're withholding from your partner usually from a fear of abandonment or Mm. a fear that any distress within the relationship will make them hate you whatever your reason is opening up Mm. leaning into that so for anxious you want to lean out take care of self avoid it as scary as it is you want to lean in yeah and i've had to do this in my own partnership you know there's been i have to talk about my uh, my traumas my life Mm -hmm. right we're we're together he's my human and when i What happens is I open up and I tell him something that I think he's either going to find unattractive about me um, or he's going to leave me if he knows that I'm more fragile than I appear. And I get shaky, physically Mm -hmm. shaky when I, after I'm done uh, telling him something, you know, and what I have to do is lean into that. And I end up actually saying to him, and I'm shaking right now telling you this, Mm -hmm. this is, and I just keep, it's hard for me to do this. It's hard for me to do Mm -hmm. this. And by opening that with somebody who can sit with you and is hopefully doing the work enough, they can go, all right. And you're now you're healing that. So you healed part of your avoidant Mm -hmm. by sharing what was going on that you otherwise would have kept a deep, dark secret. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, long story short is I do think that apps are great. Oh yeah. apps. Uh, Yeah. That's what, that's what, sorry. Oh yes. Those apps. Um, Yeah. We, we met on Tinder. Um, and at the time I had been dating around, right? And and then we met and I knew on our first date it was like, Yeah, you're you're awesome. You yeah. know. Um Yeah, the was, beauty of the great too. first date, yeah. You can yeah. filter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, to to that point then that I feel like they they do have a place. The reason why I feel like I'm happy I'm done with them is because I wouldn't want to go on so many dates not to say that there's anything wrong with that and i know that you said that you've been on a number of dates right uh quite a few but i i it's to me, it was like i was like i was like done <laughs> yeah i was like done with meeting people you know what i'm saying like i'm like if i weren't sure like that's how it would have played out but i'm happy it had played out the way that it did like i haven't been on a dating app i think like really since then i think maybe i redownloaded it for like a short period of time um probably following like when me and this person had originally like split up. Right. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to deal with them. I think that's all it is. And Kabir, I know he's not here. It's I'll, I'll say it in the intro. I would have said that he's, he's sick and he's not here, but, um, like Kabir is single and like enjoys being single. You know, he, it's, it's more of a deliberate choice and he knows that he, he's not ready for relationships. He, he's not, he doesn't want to be in one even like he, he just, doesn't at least right now right and he's acknowledged that he said that it's like a right now thing um he's got no problem with the apps 
you know, it's like I see and it's just, it seems like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And I want to tell the sweethearts, you know, mm. listening, every mm. person listening to, I know rejection sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. And I'm not going to play it up like you get to just make this list and get on these apps and all these people are going to flock your way and it's going to work. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I, there are many times that you're going to be rejected. There are many times that you're going to reject. There's going to be a lot of heartache in it. But again, circling back to that first point, is it sacred? Mm. Love is sacred. Failure is sacred. Don't be afraid to fail at mm. dating. Don't be afraid of the rejection. It's not because of you. It's because it's not supposed to be you too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not because of you. It's just not supposed to I be you that. too. Mm-hmm. You know, let it let it hurt. Mm-hmm. People get so afraid of the pain that is rejection, and that's fair. Mm-hmm. It's intense. It's a part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. If you live life going, all right, I want to feel every emotion on the spectrum. And I want to know who am I when I'm feeling those. So that means you need to experience depression to understand mm. who am I when I'm depressed? Mm. Who am I when I'm joyful? Who am I when I'm excited? Who am I when I'm rejected? Who am I when I'm abandoned? And can you learn and, and grow through those and see them as an opportunity of self-exploration? So when you get rejected and you go home and you eat a bag of Doritos and you watch Love is Blind yeah. and you're like, well, these people can do it. And then you're filling out an application for Love is Blind yeah, at two in the yeah, morning. Yeah. You're learning about yourself. It's okay, sure. you know? And the best relationships i've ever seen are the ones who've had the worst heartbreaks Mm. or terrible dates and or maybe bad partnerships i'm divorced Mm. my partner is similar we both had pasts of people that we swore were (laughs) the one and ironically i was the girl saying he's the one yeah shotgun wedding i thought (laughs) all the stuff and that's where you were on love is blind like a pretty (laughs) actually pretty no i was on tlc 90 day fiance i married a foreigner (laughs) brought him over and then yeah anyways but it's on my tiktok (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's it's i i was that person which is why i speak so confidently about it Mm -hmm. now you know what i mean i'm not saying like oh don't be somebody who says they're your soulmate i'm telling you as a person who once said someone is my soulmate and understood how those words trick you because they're not necessarily coming from you because mm-hmm. they're literally not coming from you it's a coined term that could yeah. basically have tm at the end of it i'm sure some jeweler has it as their slogan yeah. it's not you yeah and you can get tricked by that and end up accepting behaviors that you don't deserve mm-hmm. because they are the one mm-hmm. so is it healthy then to to go through that process it sounds like it is yeah mm-hmm. i would be really intentional with the pain mm. i remember went during my divorce lying on um my bed in fetal position sobbing and at the end of my sob i don't know if anybody else gets this but you was like getting like a coughing fit kind of in your sob where you'd start coughing so you're no longer crying but mm-hmm. you're like dying yeah. essentially yeah. and I, I was like coughing up my lung like a hairball of uh, trauma mm-hmm. and i was sitting there and as soon as i got done it was like a wheezing breath and something clicked and i realized that this was the same reaction i had after my first breakup hmm. and i'm like oh this is me in grief and let me tell you the power of understanding this mm. I'm fortunate enough that my parents were very young when they had me. And so I will live to be of later age when my parents pass, Mm -hmm. if I'm lucky. I can bet I'll be on the bed sobbing like that Mm. because I now understand grief. And so when I'm there on the bed and 
I hope if the universe has it, my partner who I have now will be beside me. And he goes, are you good? Because mm. I'm coughing up that hairball of trauma yeah. that's been reoccurring after every loss in my life. I can mm -hmm. say, no, baby, this is what I do yeah. when I grieve. This is how it looks to grieve. This is my grieving. Everybody grieves different. And how do you know if you don't go through it? That's uh, at, at first when you were saying like to look at that emotional spectrum and need to understand yourself with each emotion, right? Like to understand how you are when you're depressed, you have to be depressed. You have to see what it's like. At first I wasn't like quite grasping that concept, but now you're saying this and how you saw yourself in your first breakup and then after divorce and recognizing being intentional about looking at that and realizing, oh, that's how I grieve. That's huge. That would be massive in just understanding how you are with anything. And to take that then to uh, uh, to extrapolate this and push it out and look at, okay, now dating. Let's say you go on 100 dates. After each one that fails, fails. If you're not hitting that point, couldn't have been that bad. You know what I mean? Like when you're now you looking at like rejection, right? If you're thinking of how like rejection is not terrible, don't fear rejection. If it's not putting you at a point of grief and understanding what for you grief is, you're okay. You're still moving, you know, like that, that loss isn't something that is so traumatic that you can't move on from, right? That's, that's. And now you incredible. understand your tendency of being rejected. Mm -hmm. This is me when I'm rejected. I yeah. eat Doritos and watch reality television. That is my rejection self. And I get it's, through that. And I get through that. So that's what I do when I'm rejected. That's what I do when I grieve. Mm -hmm. And you have different place points. This is what I mean by the yeah. spectrum. You have different. All right. This is me at rejected. This is me. At, and it doesn't make it necessarily easier mm -hmm. it still sucks you still feel cruddy after all of those mm -hmm. but you know yourself more yeah it's funny like it's too bad you don't watch some netflix and stuff like that i mean have you ever watched the office like you ever yes yeah, okay. i did watch so the that's office. Fair. okay yeah, yeah, yeah but there's the episode where um michael is is dating the woman from the bar and uh, she was cheating on her husband to be with Michael. Okay. And so he was the mistress, but he kept going with it for a while. But then he he broke it off because he knew it was wrong and he left it. Um, Pam had prepared for that because she knows Michael more than Michael knows him. And she had prepared for that and bought him like a couple tubs of ice cream. They got the TV in the, the multipurpose room, the staff room, the meeting room, whatever. Um, that mo then, meeting room had yeah, so much going on. Yeah, 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 so much. Um <laughs> And got that ready for him. And then when he was supposed to be going to break up and came back and didn't go for the ice cream, she knew something was up. He you didn't, didn't break, break up. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when he did, he went and he got the ice cream. It's like that was his way of processing the end of that relationship, right? Like that was his way of getting through grief. And she knew that that was how he was going to respond. But you can know that about yourself. And she responded and with love mm -hmm. and nurturing. Mm -hmm. She knew how he was going to react. And you can start to learn how you're going to react. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and take care of yourself yeah yeah and go, oh and i do this all the time you know call yourself and, and men have a harder time with this for sure mm. but call yourself nice names mm. give yourself a nickname or two that you use in moments of defeat mm. a good one ace or chief or boss, boss. yeah boss <laughs> we said it the same time you feel me like boss any of those yeah. i call myself baby girl mm. and so when that stuff is going on and I have pain points in my life. I've had traumas happen to me that are not fair and should never happen to a person. But then you say those things and you go, hey, baby girl, I see you. Hey, boss, I see you. You just got rejected by the fifth chick on that app or you haven't gotten one match this month mm -hmm. and you feel really down about yourself. And you're going to learn what feeling down about yourself is because you're in it. Mm -hmm. So you might as well. I always tell my clients this. Don't waste the sadness. Mm -hmm. Use it. Use it, honey. Yeah, learn from it. Learn from it. Right. That's, I wish I knew that.
You know, I you wish know. I wish yeah, I do know that now, and our audience knows that now. Yeah, that's um, that's that's huge. I mean, that's exactly this comes back to what you said at the start of our conversation: being intentional about all this, right? And um, being intentional about how you reflect and what you are learning about yourself, right? That's that's massive. If you can understand what gets you through those moments, you won't be afraid to run into those moments again. And not even necessarily what gets you through. I love that point, but I want to dance with you a little mm-hmm. bit because I hear people say what to get me through, which in an in a undercurrent of that is getting over it, right? Mm-hmm. And I really yes gets through, but also just who are you in it? Like mm-hmm. you might not get through it. Mm. I have clients who are still bereaving relationships from 10, 15 years ago and and as if it were still there. So there Mm. might not be a complete and total get through, Mm. but it's about going in and knowing this is what's going on. Mm. Recognizing that. Wow. That sounds Thanks incredibly for dance with you. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I like that, that you're right. And maybe not getting through. Maybe right? not. Just what is it now? You know, maybe what, you don't heal right that now? anxious attached in this life. Mm-hmm. But if you have a partner that sees it and loves you for it, and, and you, you know, you live a long and uh, loving relationship with one another, constantly texting them, freaking out, worrying mm-hmm. about abandonment, but they're loving you through it. Mm-hmm. That's good enough. Yeah. That's better. Yeah. That's an alternative I would be okay with. Absolutely. I don't have to be healed to be okay. No kidding. Thank you for all that. That's a, that's, that's a good lesson. That's a good lesson. And and I'm thinking about even my own uh, piece that I've talked about a couple of times here, like being afraid of conflict. Like the next time I'm having a conversation that I'm needing to lean into in order to, to get through, right. To, to have out there. um, Maybe I will think about like, how am I feeling right now? Like what's, afterwards reflect on it be intentional what was my body doing was i having like a physical reaction to this how was i like carrying myself even body language wise was i shutting off and i'll be more intentional with it and kind of reflect on it so that then now as i approach the next one i'll know kind of what to expect and how i'm going to react and how i'm going to approach that next tricky conversation because there will always be another that's the other thing too there will always be something else that you'll need to to experience right so huge thank yeah. you the people that. watching the podcast how many times i fist bumped yeah. <laughs> i'm like if you're watching this you're seeing me like jersey short <laughs> not a show i watch but <laughs> i do know <laughs> like fist bump and like mm-hmm. i'm nodding so yes absolutely yeah. and a yeah. really powerful tool is what are the thoughts mm-hmm. what are the thoughts you know what are the feelings in your body what are the thoughts yeah because if every time your partner exits or every time your partner doesn't text you back you think they're gonna leave me and you know you think that Mm -hmm. at some point you might go i think this every time Mm -hmm. it became less valid they haven't left they haven't left yeah look at that data yeah or maybe people (laughs) did leave in the past and so now Mm -hmm. you're like but the data shows they do do that which i hear a lot Mm -hmm. the data does show and i'm like okay all right but will it forever Mm -hmm. is it always going to be that way Mm -hmm. because it it won't always be any way of anything it can be very hard to not carry over a past relationship into an, into the next. And I know that this isn't like a planned topic of conversation here, but I'm curious about that. Meeting somebody who, let's say, let's say you were the one who had negative past relationship experiences. I would imagine, because I, thankfully I haven't, um, I would imagine it's, it's, it's scary to do it again. But then from the other side of it, to start being with somebody, start a relationship with somebody who their past hasn't been great, it would be hard to expect them not 
to look at you and wonder if you're going to do the same. Yeah. And I really, really work with my clients on building confidence around their past, mm. confidence around their trauma. Because I tell people, and this is a kind of silly analogy, but I tell people, everyone comes in with baggage, right? And now it depends on what kind of baggage. So mm. imagine you and your partner are going on a vacation for the very first time. And you notice that they bring some luggage that has a bunch of holes and their their clothes are falling out of yeah. it and it's duct taped and they're embarrassed and super shameful of it. And they hide it from you and put it behind. And, you know, and then you go to point out that something's falling out and they scream at you. And you're just like, this is now not a good travel experience. Now, Imagine you go on a trip with your partner for the very first time and their bag is taped up pretty well and there's some stuff falling out of it and you go to point out something's falling out and they go, oh my gosh, I know it's old and I'm, I'm going to get a new one soon. I'm working on it. Okay. Mm. It's messy, but let me just push this back in and, and we got this. Uh-huh. The trip is fine. Yeah. The, you're laughing in the line. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh shit. There's my sock. Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. my sock. Yeah. So it's about like, can you go to therapy and find, you know, oh, Okay, can I talk about this and, and, and build in? And this is where therapy, meditation, and journaling can help you to know yourself enough that you can tell your story without being so embarrassed that the line to the flight mm-hmm. is ruined. The relationship is ruined. Mm-hmm. The, the day is destroyed. I heard something from, it was an old manager, and he's been on the podcast before, James Klein. Love him. He's a wonderful father, great guy. He built this table for us. Um it's a little bit bent. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I think it's because of the the weight of the the boom arms. But um, he said something to me once, which was when, when I talked to him about stuff that was going on with like my relationship at the time, and um, and we talked about it at work. We had a good relationship. It was nice. That was a little side piece. But uh, he had said that something that he and his wife agreed to early on in their relationship was to not hold each other accountable for their past. You can't expect someone to know how you're going to react to things if it's the first time that you're encountering it with that person you just can't you only know your stuff and then that's where that intentional piece comes in of understanding how you are going to react to things right and understanding what that is and being able to then communicate that to that person but not saying okay now you fit the mold now you're there now you're one of them you know now you've you same thing different person right that's that's not the case mm. you know and the the intention behind or the the i guess the thought behind how someone acts you know maybe it wasn't uh what's the it's like ill intent mm. there was no ill intent between what behind what they did right but maybe you're just reacting that way now you got to have that conversation with them and let them learn and maybe they'll respond differently than the person who screwed you over you know we hope we hope yeah <laughs> Yeah, if you tell somebody, I like that line, don't hold them accountable for the past, but it's it's so easy to say that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So easy to say. Um, my hope is that if you share your past with somebody, you can receive the love you need in, in being vulnerable and sharing mm-hmm. it. And if you do hold them, like, well, my ex cheated on me, so I've been thinking you're going to, can that person look you and say, I understand that you're in pain. Right. 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 And give you the reassurance that they're not. Yeah. I mean, you kind of, I thought of this earlier uh, when we were talking about something that made me think of absorbing a little bit of the other person. I think it was while we were talking about attachment styles and you can kind of be swayed right into, into different attachment styles with a partner. Um, 
it made me think in general of something that we also talked about on our call together, which was mistakes that partners can make. So we'll, I, I kind of want to get into that a little bit, like between men versus women as well. What are common mistakes that men make in relationships, starting mm. with men? Yeah, starting with men. I love it. I have a, a term I've coined as the departed dilemma. Sure. And the departed dilemma, I don't know if you've seen. And the only reason why I've seen this movie, so mm. going back to I don't watch I don't watch him, Netflix. I don't watch them is my partner forced me to. It's one of his favorite movies. And uh, there was this scene with Alec Baldwin talking to Matt Damon. And he says, are you married? And he says, yeah. And he says, are you and your wife good? He says, yeah. He says, good. Married people are stable. It lets people know that you got money. It lets people blah. And he goes on this big spiel as to saying why men should be married. Hmm. And I think this is a mistake that happens with men is that they believe when they find a spouse that it will increase their value Mm -hmm. in society Mm -hmm. to be seen as a provider. Mm -hmm. And so they will attach to a, a figure to increase their status without too much deliberation on is this person bringing me towards what my life pursuits actually are. Oh, that's so interesting. That's already, like, that's so, I don't mean to interrupt the, the theory, but yeah, it's like, okay, I've checked out this box. I can be, I'm a provider now. I'm meeting that societal standard of like what a man, what a man should be in a relationship, in a partnership with a spouse and get married. And, but are they actually like fulfilling my needs? Are they actually doing the things for me that I need to be done, whether it's intentional or not, or if it's just based on their character rather than just, okay, yeah, now I'm a husband. Now I provide. Now I've got a kid. I'm a dad. What's it doing for you? What's that person doing for you? My partner, uh, he was 36 when we met single and Mm. I I made a joke one day. I was like, whatever, you weren't even with, you know, you didn't find me until you were 36, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he goes, yeah, but I was looking for you until then Mm -hmm. i didn't stop until then Mm -hmm. i wasn't saying yeah he's like i was trying to figure out who is my person and i didn't settle until i did which Mm -hmm. took until i was this age i love that he was he didn't buy into that idea of i need to i graduated college time to find me a wife because that's what i'm supposed to do because it'll increase my value Mm -hmm. and it'll show that i'm capable Mm -hmm. so the mistake there to, to answer that question about men is the mistake of jumping straight into it just so that you're meeting that societal bump of, okay, here's the partner, here's the provider. He's got a relationship yeah, and how that looks then to the other people in their life. Yeah. And I don't know how your male audience is going to absorb this mm-hmm. only because I'm going to press a little bit and say that men in general, it's, they have a, a place of hierarchy within the positionality mm. in, in just in general. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that they're meeting that expectation, but they're succeeding it. They've already right. sort of been at a, you're good, you're powerful, you're strong status. Yeah. And then they find a partner and it increases it. And that's, mm. and the reason why I make that difference here is because there is a similarity with the mistake that women make, mm. but that key component of increasing their success or increasing their value is where you'll see a difference between the mistake men make and the mistake women make. What's the mistake women make in this comparison? Yeah. Cinderella dilemma. Mm, there I, go. I got, got a coin. Yeah. <laughs> Cinderella dilemma. Cinderella dilemma is that women seek out partnerships because we are told since we were kids watching Cinderella that your mission is to find love. Mm. And once you do your life has value. Mm. 
you see that difference. Mm -hmm. A woman will- It doesn't have value until you're there. Correct. Men have value already mm -hmm. because they're men. Mm -hmm. But finding a partner shows that they're more successful, higher mm -hmm. value, provider. Look at all these things that it adds it's to your- It's an elevation. Elevates your resume, elevates your <laughs> life status. But for women, it creates it. Mm -hmm. Good job. Now you can become a mom. Mm -hmm. Now you're a wife. Now you're a homemaker or whatever. Mm -hmm. they, I don't even know, but- <laughs> there you go you've you've reached it i mean even since a little girl we are asked how many kids do you want mm. in kindergarten yeah do you want to be a mommy mm -hmm. and we think well once i am i've met i've done my job did it mm -hmm. i'll be happy and that's the case for both i, I wonder like it's not even a wonder you can just look at it and see that this is the case is that in modern life now we see that as a mistake I think in the past, that's not a mistake. That's what they did. And everybody did it, you know, like the, the whole nuclear family, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's just what it was. But now as we've progressed as a society and a culture, we know that like women are more than just mothers, you know, I mean, motherhood is a vital part of life. I absolutely think that it is, but you don't have to just be a mom. So meeting or getting into a relationship just to be able to say like, okay, I'm in a relationship. Now I am a wife. Now I have value. Now I can be a mother. Not the right reason to do it. If that's all that you're getting out of that relationship. Yeah. It circles right back to what former monk Jay Shetty said. Mm. Your values are your distractions by mm. default. The advent of technology gave us more perspectives mm. and more values for us to reflect on. Mm-hmm. The nuclear family was singularly talked about on television, black and white television. It was advertised. Mm -hmm. It's what you saw. Christianity was the main and uh, at least in America and I'm pretty sure Canada, yep, yep. you know, most westernized worlds, it was Christianity value or Christian values. And so those were the staples of a successful and happy life. Mm -hmm. And then boom, mm -hmm. this emergence of information. Technology mm -hmm. comes and says, look at all of these alternative lifestyles. Even if we go historically speaking in America, the movement in the 1960s and 70s with psychedelics and people mm -hmm. opening and expanding their mind in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, women's rights. Everything's just really exploded at the same time where people started saying, is this what I want? Yeah. But yeah. unfortunately, millennials and, you know, we still are the product of our parents who were that generation, right. who were taught that that's what you should have. The picket fence isn't far enough away. Mm -hmm. So there are many <laughs> of us that will settle to go up to an ideal that which we have enough information to not believe in anymore. Mm -hmm. But we do because we're not taking the time to reflect. So that value. And because there. I think that there's a risk in it. Mm, say more. I, th I feel like th there is a risk in going away from what has proven itself to be good enough and get you through life it? in the past. Are people happier? <laughs> not necessarily, but may maybe that's not what it is, though. Maybe they are looking at it from a, just a standpoint of like, am I going to have my basic survival needs met if I go down this route? You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if I can find someone who is going to be a provider for the family, I'm then going to have a, a, a roof over my head and I'm going to be able to raise a child and my child can then go on and figure out how to do something else. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I wonder if that plays into it at all for those who, at our generation who would still look at that and be like, okay, that is something that will be okay. I can grab onto that and that's all my relationship needs to be, both for the man and the woman, in this case, making that mistake, you know? Wow, that, you, that was beautiful. 
God, I love having conversations where you say something <laughs> and then someone says something and you go, wow. And the, 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 the cogs are turning. The cogs yeah, are turning because yeah. I'm like, yes, you know, in, that, in, in many ways, you're touching on if that is someone's value, it's still valid. Mm-hmm. If their value would be security and knowing that this, this can let me live a life. Yeah. Maybe that's good enough for that person. Yeah. But I get what you're saying though, which is like there, there's an opportunity for like greater happiness yeah. to, to explore outside the, the of the mistake. This the specific mistake is settling for somebody mm. to achieve that bump up in success right. for men or that meeting of values for women. So mm. settling in any case, it would be a mistake. Mm-hmm. Just accepting somebody who isn't correct for you because of a myriad of reasons. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Oof. Yeah. Oof, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is, but that goes back to that piece of being um, being picky as well, right? Like there's there is a lot of value in being picky and not settling. I think that is very important, right? It, you could look at even me saying earlier the um, like the one or a one, like you someone could see seeing a one as settling, right? But that's only if you're not checking off those those items on your list and being picky with what you want, right? Like there, there's got to be a a requirement for you these things need to be met but maybe for some people it is just having a home and being able to raise a kid you and know then that, but then you're not settling then you're not settling and that's then okay not, then that's yeah. you're not settling because that's exactly what yeah. you wanted but i think the unhappiness and like the opportunity for for growth and the people who then really need some therapy are the ones who ended up settling and they realize it years later down the road and went oh shit yeah i've got a kid now yeah particularly you know? with men i worry about mm-hmm. this as as emotion emotional creatures that tend to suppress that mm-hmm. emotional urge big stereotype not becoming uh as true mm-hmm. but it still is there and i worry that men aren't noticing and i can't speak i'm a woman i don't mm-hmm. know but i th- i think men aren't noticing they're getting into a relationship they're going down the line and then x amount of years later they're like well is this what i wanted mm-hmm. i mean we talked about kabir a second earlier oh, and it's uh <laughs> this this makes me uh think of him some more too and it's uh, he's intentionally single but i think for the right reasons which is that he doesn't want to settle into something that like maybe he he isn't sure that that's all that he needs, you know, like a relationship right now isn't all that he needs. And it just makes me think of him a little bit. I wish you were here to expand. Damn it, Kabir, you sick guy. Um, yeah. Are there any other mistakes that kind of stand out to you that, that men make or that women make in, in relationships? Men, I've noticed as clients, tend to... Um, hide their sexual fantasies Mm. i've seen a bit of that uh, quite a bit of that for fear of judgment Mm. um women tend to hide their emotional needs as a fear of not being met Mm. so in each case people are hiding their urges Mm. their emotional or natural primal urges to appease their partner at a cost of a connection Mm. And that would be a large that is a mistake, big mistake. Yeah, across yeah. the board, across the board, without a doubt. And earlier, um, I, I mentioned that we had talked about like absorbing a little bit of one's personality. Can you get into that a little bit? Because when we had our call, I, th- I found that really interesting. Um, do, if you remember what that was about, if you can get into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is another generalization, but I mm. tend to see that women will become their partners for a lot of reasons, but they'll 
end up becoming interested in their music tastes. They'll end up becoming interested in the sports that they watch. They'll end up becoming interested in the NASCAR racer that they're interested Mm -hmm. in again to appease the man, which is fine. Of course, take interests in your partners, Mm -hmm. but don't then lose your interests to Mm -hmm. seem more interesting to them. Mm -hmm. Men don't do this as much in my experience. Not as much. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I can still see it happening. Mm -hmm. You know, absolutely. It's funny. You mentioned the music stuff. Like, music taste for me when i was single was such a big thing for some reason it's like i need to like find someone who has like similar music taste and uh i definitely realized like that's bullshit like that's not a requirement for (laughs) me that's not not one of my list items no um i was much happier being exposed to to other music but that like makes me think of this example where you need to have other perspective, obviously, in a relationship. People who are like too similar, what are you learning from them? When you say that your partner is the most interesting person to you because you don't understand the way that they think and the why oh they think God. things, like that's <laughs> that can be so fun in a relationship too. You know what I'm saying? Like that that gives you so much more to like look forward to. You're discovering so much new about this person all the time. I would imagine. But it's the problem again of the one and the soulmate. Mm-hmm. We tell ourselves specifically women because we're romantics and mm. we grew up with cinderella so we must have the shoe fit in every category right right we think and sometimes you got to jam that shoe in. we'll jam <laughs> yeah, the shoe in yeah, like the twin yeah. did right you'll jam it in and be like yeah. well, look we like the same things and we like all blah 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 instead of allowing them to like what they like and you like what you like and mm-hmm. you two come together mm-hmm. just on the drive over I, I looked at my partner and i said you know you're a person you're an individual and i'm an individual and we're choosing for this period of time yeah to be together and to experience life together. Now, I don't know if that's going to be forever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, wow, every time I said that to all my exes, they'd get so angry. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, I don't know. And you don't know. I certainly hope at this point. Mm-hmm. But we're just two individual people having our one existence. Mm-hmm. A meditation I practice a lot is a transcendental, which usually means a mantra meditation, where I go over and over and over, this is my life. Mm-hmm. This is my life this is my life for 20 minutes Mm. and you can move this to this is my arm these are my fingertips my right foot is falling asleep so i'm gonna move (laughs) it but this is my tingling right foot right and you would you really attune to this is me Mm -hmm. and in a loving relationship can you go and in a romantic one can you go this is me and that's you Mm -hmm. that can make the shoe fit just two people navigating life together Mm-hmm. seeing each other's faults seeing you each other's do traumas. not have to be the same you don't have yeah. to be the same and they're gonna love you regardless i think mm-hmm. that's the fear they want mm-hmm. i, w- I want to be interested in all they are so that they find me interesting mm-hmm. and so that we're compatible mm-hmm. compatibility is seeing each other and experiencing each other mm-hmm. right yeah i love it mm-hmm. um i feel like we've got a ton of good stuff on relationships in our talk so far um to like steer us towards the end of our conversation i want to talk a bit more like I guess on the nose with therapy. Um, why do you think it is sometimes that men in particular are hesitant to try therapy in what you've experienced and people who've approached you? I mean, my, my own, and I know like I said, I haven't done therapy. I've done counseling. Like I went to that place because I was at like a point of crisis or it felt like a point of crisis in my life, whether that be how I was feeling in the relationship at the time, but also how I was feeling with my work. You know, like I had like, that's another like big place of value for men, right. Is, is what we do with our work. Like how successful are we? And I was just hitting this wall and that really drove me to reach out to it. But then of course I was able to bring up relationship things with my counselor at that point. Once I felt like comfortable, um, 
why do you think there is sometimes a hesitation for men to to go down that route? Yeah, I don't know. Mm. And this that's and this is the most beautiful response because the men that come and see me, I see growth in a way I can't put words to. Mm. It's like a light bulb clicks and they the response I have with my male clientele is my boss has noticed, mm-hmm. my gym friends have noticed, my bar buddies are not as frequent. I have seen such a profound difference in my men clientele that I don't know the hesitation. Mm-hmm. There's so many intelligent men making podcasts, mm. yourself included. <laughs> There's so many incredible um, models now mm. of powerhouses. Dak Shepard has one of the top podcasts, yeah. Armchair Expert, right? Mm-hmm. And he speaks openly about therapy regularly. He's got better help as one of his sponsors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that you could tell me because sure. it would certainly help me in my practice of understanding this. I think that um, for men, when you look at how men are people who tend to stifle our emotion and kind of hide our emotion and not want to to show that weakness and vulnerability, it can take us longer, I think, to hit a point where we realize there's a problem. And it takes hitting that point, and it took me hitting that point to begin looking at the idea of counseling or therapy. We've talked about on this podcast how valuable it can be to look at it as a, as a form of maintenance. You don't necessarily have to be there because there's a problem. It's good to have, if, if you can access it, it's good to have it as a regular place because it is maintenance. It's like going to the gym and maintaining a level of physical fitness. It's the same thing for your brain. But I think as men, if we haven't hit a point where it's that bad, we're not going to go. Why would I bring something up to somebody who doesn't know me if I can, if I can keep it in? You know, if I can hold it into myself, why would I? Do they? Do you think? Do you think men think I can figure this out on my own? Kind of thing. I do, yeah, without a doubt, yeah. And then it gets to a point where you can't. You've been, <laughs> you've been like trying the same thing with the same problem, the same approach a million times, and you're getting nowhere. And then you start to reach out for help. I think that's that what it like was for me as a man. Is that a moment of weakness, or do you feel strength when you do reach out? For me, I felt strength. For me, I felt. I felt like I knew I was taking a, a, a step that would help. When I had my first counselor call booked, I was like, okay, that can look forward to this day. I'm going to see what it's like. I've never done counseling before. I'm going to see what it's like. After that first session, pre-booking the next one was awesome. It was like I had this like this even keel then that would carry me all the way through the week. No matter what happened, I would know like, okay, in two weeks time, I'm talking again. And there was strength in that, I guess. But I can understand how someone, how men might see it also as weakness, right? You, you're now admitting to yourself that something's wrong. Yeah, and in my case, which is unique, is that they're not just admitting to themselves, but they're admitting to a female mm-hmm. counterpart mm-hmm. across the the seat from them. Mm-hmm. Something is wrong with me. Personally, I find it easier to speak to them. I don't know if that's because I grew up with like my my single mom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my my counselor was female and I was really happy that they were. I, I find it easier to to open up in, in that way. I find it awkward sometimes talking to to men directly about stuff going on. It's funny. I was even just uh, at my mom's place last night and we had uh, one of my cousins in from Alberta and uh, like I was in the room on my own for like a little bit with him and it wasn't like, like 
totally awkward, but I was like, oh shit, like men. What do I have? Yeah, men. Yeah, legit. I was just sitting there thinking, like, okay, hmm, fishing? No. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I have male male therapists my whole life. Yeah, yeah, and and there is some research behind that. I think that there is yeah, absolutely. I mean, you around. see it in kids and parents, right? So often, a, a daughter gravitates towards a father, a son gravitates towards a mother. Yeah. Um, I found a lot of value in going to therapy or counseling. I, in my head, I see them as the same thing. Right? I refer to them the same way. And I agree with you that, like, I don't see many people go through it and come out saying you should never do that. I've never had that yeah. in my case and in my peer group. And like I said, I have seen the largest change in my men clientele. Mm -hmm. And I think it stems from what you started yours with. This is that we are creatures of suppression and you are invited into a space where it's my main job to create a container that you feel safe mm -hmm. to start exploring. And I am a somatic uh, therapist. Somatic is soma, Latin root mm -hmm. for that is a body-centered therapist. So I'm constantly having my clients go into their body mm -hmm. and sense where they're feeling it. Yeah, how are you physically feeling? Oof, the men that, the client that tell that I have that go, this is the first time yeah. I've noticed this sensation. How often are you like encountering them feeling like tense? All the time. Yeah. Shoulders are yeah. always up. Yeah. And a uh, big thing I notice with my male versus my female clients is when my females feel uncomfortable, they tend to rattle their knee mm. or their leg of some sort. Uh, when my men feel uncomfortable, they tend to reposition mm -hmm. and clench their own legs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, lots of jaw. I'm a somatic yeah. therapist. I'm constantly noticing body language. Lots of jaw tightness in men. Um, lots of eye, eye uh, avoidance with mm. women. Interesting. So many little. That's markers. funny the the eye avoidance with women piece because that is opposite of what normally happens. It I, I got this like a long time ago from my cousin. She pointed this out and uh, talked about how like men versus women will will talk. Like if you sit men down next to each other, if they're thinking about something or speaking, they're not looking at the other guy. Typically, women will look at each other. They make eye contact. Right. And that's, I, I thought that was interesting because I noticed that. I noticed that when I have a conversation with anybody, I look away a lot of the times while I'm talking to you. Like I'm, I'm looking and I'm thinking elsewhere. And it's not that you're not connected with the conversation, it's just the way that we are. So I found that interesting that women would avoid eye contact when they are sitting un, uneasily with a feeling. I sense it as they're going inward. They'll look away and they'll go, I feel it. And they're looking, they're going into their bodies. They're mm. I'm, I feel it in my stomach, Jessa. And I'm in that. And they'll close their eyes. So they'll look away. Men, when I ask them to get into their bodies, it's rather uncomfortable. So mm -hmm. they take on a power stance of, I don't know. I don't really feel anything looking me dead in the eye, almost <laughs> staring me down. Like you better stop asking the yeah. line of questioning. You're Fuck like, off. you know, yeah. I don't feel shit. And I'm like, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. But it's those little micro moments, yeah. you know, and then touching it and being like, I notice when I ask you about your body that you stare at me. What's mm. that like for you? Mm. Well, you're asking me a question, so I stare at you. I notice your jaws getting yeah. tight. What's that like? And constantly. And then the most beautiful moment in the whole world is when a client comes in a year into uh, analysis and they'll say, yeah, so my boss called me and I knew I was mad because my jaw was clenching. And so I ended up answering the, f and they don't even realize it mm -hmm. that they just use their somatic markers their body to source an emotion it's huge in real time which helped them direct the conversation with their boss in a more intentional way mm -hmm. i had a, a fantastic manager at one point and she actually said something similar to that when i started going through counseling and i was struggling with where i was at in my job she was fantastic and she uh 
recommended not with the same language obviously like with the trained background that you have but recommended trying to identify like when you are feeling really frustrated are you getting really flush you know like is is your heart rate going up are you noticing things about you because if you can start to notice those markers then you'll know when something's happening before you're even expressing it verbally or before you're expressing it with tone and like just body language and how you carry yourself. If you can identify those earlier markers, you catch those feelings earlier and you know like, oh shit, I'm, I'm starting to feel a certain way, which is huge. Let me tell all of the men listening, <laughs> there is nothing sexier than saying, honey, I'm feeling irritated and I know that because, mm. and then telling me something going on in your body that <laughs> indicates anger that that level of awareness is hotter than a six pack mm. <laughs> that's why we want 91 percent of people going to therapy on that's so yeah. sexy yeah. are you kidding me Oof. that's awesome that level of awareness brings you closer mm. and it makes me want you more mm. because you know what's going on in your body mm -hmm. which tells me that you're going to treat me with the acknowledgement that your emotions are taking over you, which means that you're going to be emotional in other areas. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, that's attractive. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when talking about how important therapy is with relationships, I think we've made a pretty, pretty strong case here yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to advocate for 91%. that. 91%. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it makes me think of going back to just the accessibility side of therapy and the fact that there is a cost to it in some cases, but there are other modes of getting to understand yourself that we've identified through meditation, through journaling. I find to, to talk about for a second again, uh, men wanting to choose to go through therapy or not. Uh, Kendrick Lamar's latest album is all about therapy and going to therapy. I have found so many times music to be very therapeutic, but if you wanted to take that a step further, taking what you've taught me today, which is about intention, like that's the thing I'm really taking away from our conversation is intention in how you reflect. If I found an album that I really loved, I could be a lot more intentional afterwards, but like, what did I like about that track? Like, why did that stand out to me? Pause for a moment and go like, okay, how does that fit into my life? that would let me understand me through song without having to be someone who is comfortable picking up a journal and writing about themselves. You can find this through other mediums that way. People listening to the podcast, right? Like oftentimes have reached out about how something has helped them. Like be more intentional about that. You know what I mean? Write that shit down, write that shit down. Write it down. And, yeah. and get that out there. That's and awesome. And repeat it and teach it to others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Repeat it, teach it to others, write it down and think about how it made you feel. Yeah. And take anything that you've done in your life that doesn't feel good as an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. You're not a bad person because you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. You're just experiencing life and it's okay. Yeah. You know? It's beautiful. Open the open the Kendrick. I love that you always bring music in. Yeah, I love it. I love, it's a, it's a, it's I mean, a big this, piece. I mean, look yeah, at the art. Insane. Yeah, Your yeah. studio is just top uh, notch. Frank is performing next weekend at Coachella. I gotta watch him. But yeah. Um, Jessa, I have one more question on the nose of therapy. You as a therapist, who do you go to now? I know you talked about earlier that you have had therapists in the past. You still have one now. And what does that look like to you? How do you get your thoughts out when it's yeah. not yourself? So important is, is if you're experiencing depression, find five professionals, experts, if you will, hmm. in the field of depression and healing and follow them rigorously. Hmm. If you have trauma, uh, childhood, adult, find people talking about that and let those be your support system. We live in a technological age. Your five people that you spend the most time with might not even be physical people. You might mm -hmm. have a parasocial relationship with them. Mm -hmm. So I have my five 
people that I really, Jay Shetty, I've quoted the same quote from him. So he's my, he's my person. He's done everything that I aspire to do in my life. Hmm. And he motivates me and inspires me. And I listen to his podcast like it's a ritual. Mm -hmm. And I read his books and like a ritual. Dr. Gabriel Maté talks about childhood trauma. I study him with everything I have. And I keep these people in my back pocket as my support system Hmm. because they are talking about what hurts me and what scares me about myself. And those are my support system outside of the nuclear one, right? Mm-hmm. Your mom, your dad, or your caretakers, your best friends, your partners. Mm-hmm. I, I rely on those people out there because they're unbiased. They're not talking yeah. to me about me. They're talking about what I'm going through and giving me better verbiage, mm. a deeper understanding, and a, usually a more rich dialogue about what's going on instead of my the way that you see things, the way that you articulate things. Yeah. Yeah. I heard someone say once, how much does your trauma define you? And before listening to this one person in my support system, Dr. Gabriel Mate, I said, your trauma absolutely defines you. It biologically changes you and your prefrontal cortex gets impacted and your hypothalamus stores that memory and your vagus nerve. I mean, I was mm-hmm. all into the neuroscience. My research, my uh, thesis in, master, in my master's degree was on the neuroscience of trauma. Mm. So if you think there's somebody who thought trauma messed with you, I thought so. That's you, yeah. Big time. And he said... It matters as much as you make it matter, <laughs> as much as you want it to, yeah. as much as it does. And I don't know what it was, but that sentence helped me pull from this victim mindset mm-hmm. that my parent or partner or friends couldn't move me out of. Mm. Their words wouldn't have shaped me. They knew me too close. They knew me. That's very interesting. But he said, it's as much as you want it to. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want it to matter a little less than I'm (laughs) making it matter. And Mm -hmm. he gave me the permission. Wow. I like the reason why I wanted to ask that question is like, I would imagine obviously, and I didn't, I didn't understand what the answer would be until you've given it now, which is really cool. Cause I imagined that you as a therapist, you've got all these tools and this understanding, this like very deep level of knowledge of how the mind reacts and works and and evolves and grows but you only have yours right like that's that's where yours is every day you sit with your understanding your knowledge of it and just as a patient would come to you and look for your knowledge and get them to see something a different way you can see the same in these other people these these five that are not even direct relationships but you still are able to gain something from that and help you through stuff yeah you know i studied for eight years in higher education i went to um, i lived in three countries for three different university experiences Mm. and studied under incredible buddhist practitioners i've been on vipassana which is silent retreat and i know nothing I know nothing. Sure. <laughs> I'm a baby. Right. I'm a child in my intelligence. I'm a child in my opinions. And I will be forever. Mm-hmm. You know, forever. And as long as I can keep that child's mind and know that I don't know everything and make sure that what I do know is I can find a lot from mm-hmm. other people, mm-hmm. then I think I'm going to keep growing and learning. But yeah. as soon as you stop and think you've got it, you don't. Yeah. And that's a dangerous place to reside. Absolutely. Because if I would have thought I got it, I would have been like, my trauma defines me neurologically. Mm-hmm. Look mm-hmm. at my thesis, 27 pages long. Mm-hmm. It's all about every single part of your brain that's impacted by trauma. We are doomed. Right. I am doomed. <laughs> right? 
And then I took one person that's smarter than me <laughs> and older than me to say it's as much as you want it to mm -hmm. and me to reframe the way I think. Yeah. Yeah. You can get caught in your own train of thought, right? It's a, it's a little thought circle, you know, and you're just going to be there. It's that definition of insanity thing, right? You, you keep doing something the same way, but expecting a different result. You won't get a different result if what you've been applying to it hasn't been getting you there. Mm. So that makes a lot of sense. Who's your support? My support? Mm mom <laughs> just send that clip My to mom. her with the with the eye glaze and then the, <laughs> and then the head rub and the repositioning, the repositioning we talked about <laughs> yeah the <laughs> got my coffee um yeah, my mom. My mom's always been my support. She's she's been great my whole life and still continues to be. I I tell her probably everything before anyone else hears it. You know, someone that that needs to hear the thing, right? She'll hear it before they do and um and she never like she never tells me to go about something a certain way. She just listens really well. It makes me feel like my thoughts are valid and uh reassures me that she'll still love me no matter how anything goes, you know, and that's that's, secure. that's awesome. Um yeah, my mom. My mom is the person I go to. I haven't done counseling in a, in a while and I think that goes back to how and again generalizing, but men uh, if I don't have a problem, I'm not treating it. Um, I did, like when I felt really good about where I was at, I did continue counseling for a bit. I spaced out the sessions a bit more. It was almost like tapering off, you know? Um, but I'm at, I've been at a good place. I feel like I've been at a good place where I'm not needing to to be going for, for counseling. So that has no longer been where I go. Mm. Um, these conversations are where I go too. This Having is the podcast is huge for me and I, and I, Kabir and I have both said that many times. Like we look forward to this just as a space where we know it's safe, it's comfortable, and we can just talk. That's so valuable. Um, yeah, my mom, the space, my friends, my partner. That's uh, all all valid, but my mom's the go-to. Yeah. yeah. Add yourself into that mix. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're your support. Yeah. You're all you got at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And you're doing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. you're doing so much we're all yeah. doing so much like everyone listening like you're doing so much you're waking up every day and you're doing life and mm -hmm. this is really hard mm -hmm. that's the first tenet in buddhism life is dukkha life is suffering it's mm. really really hard yeah and uh we have to be sitting with ourselves and, and supporting ourselves through it and talking to ourselves like you got this boss mm -hmm. yeah yeah buddy boss chief you got this chief because <laughs> it's, it's really yeah. really hard yeah um jessa thank you thank you so much for, for being here um sharing way too many tips and i love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um i i always find it to to come out of a one of these conversations and feel like i've really learned something is is awesome and most of them do most of them teach me something but uh, as i said earlier that piece about intention and being more intentional about reflection definitely going to keep that in mind please think yeah. about who you are when you're standing in the line mm -hmm. think about who you are when you're showering think about who you are when you're doing the dishes slow down mm -hmm. take a breath throughout the day and go who am i right now what am i thinking what am i feeling what does love mean to me ask yourself all those questions all the time because mm -hmm. all you got is you yeah yeah um, I hope and I know our audience will have been taking something away from this. And I hope some of your fans have come to check you out and listen to this. For sure. What's I know up, they babies? get yeah. 
<laughs> I know they get your uh, they get your lives right. They get your your two hour therapy sessions, which is really cool. I love that. <laughs> they're they're not therapy, therapy they're sessions not therapy. <laughs> for legal reasons. These are not therapy they're sessions. They're not that we gotta really yeah. keep that in the lock. Yeah. We're definitely not. But I do do two hour. Uh, actually, I went over Jay Shetty's book the last cool. few weeks and did a lot of exercises out of that book. But I spent a lot of time with mm-hmm. uh, my content creation, and I never realized that it was a passion and. Yeah, I started crying the other day telling a friend. I said, "This is it. This is my dharma, which is a Buddhist word for duty or meaning." Mm. So this is it. Mm. This is my dharma. I need to be doing this. So I'm so happy to be here, and I'm excited for the mistakes that I made in this podcast. <laughs> I look forward to them. I Absolutely. look forward to the the things that people liked and continuing to learn and grow from all of it. I don't think there were many mistakes, Jess. I oh, there always is, honey. This was beautiful. There always is. There has and there's to beauty be. and mistakes. Then there yes. you go. You reflect on how you feel when they come yeah. up, and you love it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this being out and uh, getting to listen back to this as well. Uh, for our audience, this will have been on video so I can actually look at the camera again. I haven't done that in like three weeks. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode. Um, I love this conversation. been looking forward to it for like, I want to say almost a month now. I know, me too. Yeah, been a while. Been a while. So I'm glad we finally got to sit down and do this. Um, big thanks to you, like making the trip up here. That's huge for us trying to like make this look and feel good. Right. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you for everything you've taught us and just taking the time. So I appreciate it. Teaching people. Of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. Uh, everybody leave a like, comment, subscribe, whatever. It doesn't matter what you do. I don't even care. I do. Uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I got a a fragile. He's (laughs) good. Leave a like then, please. Please help me out. Yeah. I have some childhood abandonment issues. And make sure you do go and check out at Therapy Jessa on TikTok. And and at Therapy Jessa official. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I had to to grab the tag now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, yeah. Now you saw that. I saw. I had to grab the tag. Um, I'll put all your your links in the description for the episode. uh, Yeah, at Therapy Jessa. Check it out. There's a lot of good stuff there. And we will see you all next week with another episode. We're going to be joined by a guy, Matthew. I want to say last name. I'm going to blank on it. Hoogveld? Hoogveld? I don't know. Hoogveld? No. (laughs) Hoogveld. Good episode coming next week as well. Uh, We'll see you then. Peace. Ciao.